Thank you, Martha, for that wonderful offertory and for all the musicians for their wonderful leadership this morning. A couple of things before I read the Luke 18 scripture, if you want to be turning in there uh, in your Bibles to Luke 18, verses 1 through 8, page 955 in your uh, pew Bibles, if you're using the pew Bibles. First thing I want to say is to report to you that in the 1045 service, we will be baptizing four young adults. And I shared this in the business meeting last Wednesday night, and I want to report it to you. I'm so very grateful for this church's flexibility and willingness to grow and stretch and do new things. Uh, All four of these young adults who are being baptized uh, in the 1045 service started coming to our church since we began our praise and worship service, and primarily because of that, uh, interested and drawn to our church. And uh, one of the adults that I baptized in July, uh, the same story uh, in that particular instance. And I want to just report that to remind us how important it is to be able to stretch and grow and to speak the heart language of culture, uh, to bring the gospel to people. And I know that it's not been an easy adjustment for some of us uh, as we've had to adjust schedules and adjust preferences and so forth, but I want to commend you for that and to Uh, share that with you so that we can celebrate together those who are coming into the faith uh, as young adults and are drawn to a church that's willing to speak the language that they can understand and that they can worship in. And so thank you for that uh, rich blessing. And as your pastor, I'm very proud of you. The second thing I want to share is since we're in a series of sermons, uh, a series of sermons on prayer, I wanted to share with us uh, before I pray a very urgent prayer request This comes from the Baptist World Alliance, and it's about Baptists in Egypt. Egypt's, uh, the the Baptists in Egypt are requesting prayer for their nation and for the Christian community in the wake of recent clashes and violence uh, in this country. More than 800 persons have been reported killed in the clashes. The pastor of First Baptist Church of Cairo, Egypt, reported that at least two Baptist churches have been attacked. The sanctuary burned, demolishing of the offices and classroom furnishings and fixtures and destroying Christian emblems. So they have put out an appeal to uh, Christians everywhere and particularly to Baptist Christians in the United States for us to remember them in prayer during a very, very difficult time. And of course, that spills out into Syria, into Lebanon, and to all the regions of the Middle East that are so... uh, racked with violence right now. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together, shall we? We thank you, God, that you are the Lord of nations, that you are the Lord of history, And we know the promises of Scripture that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and because of your eternal power, all of history is ultimately flowing your direction and according to your purposes. But in the meantime, ours is a broken world, fractured world, troubled world. And we pray for all of those sisters and brothers in Egypt and in Syria that you would protect them, that you would strengthen the congregations that have been damaged, that are intimidated by the danger and by the warfare. We pray that you would work in deep and powerful ways to bring peace to Syria and to Egypt and to other troubled places, that you would guide the leaders of our nations 
that you would guide our uh, state government, our local government, that, that always we might be seeking the welfare of your people where we live and that you might bless and guide us in your, in your purposes. We pray, dear God, today for those in our church family who are facing surgery, those who are recovering, those who are uh, grieving, those who are dealing with life's hardships and life's struggles. We remember to pray for the military personnel. We thank you for your watch care over them. We pray your blessings upon them and upon their families. And now we ask God that you guide our hearts and our minds with understanding as we open Holy Scripture. Help us as we leave this place to be faithful people. Let us do the small things that are important and help us to do those small things with great love each day. And use us, Lord, to bring hope and good news, to break down walls, and to offer your good news to those who are alone and who need you so desperately. Guide us and hear our prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I invite you to follow along with me silently as I read aloud from Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. And I'll invite you to stand and uh, we'll come to attention and God's word comes among us and I'll read this aloud. Luke 18, 1 through 8. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, grant me justice against my opponent. For a while he refused, but later he said to himself, though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God grant to his chosen ones, grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night. Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? May God bless this word to our hearts and understanding. You may be seated. I... Uh, continue to read over the emails and the Facebook messages and the texts that have come in, uh, your responses to uh, comments and questions about prayer. And I have to acknowledge to you this morning that not all of your correspondence about uh, prayer uh, has been easy to read or easy to listen to. Some of it has not been pleasant because it's been very honest and very painful. One of our church members wrote this, here is my greatest struggle. Prayer doesn't seem to matter. It doesn't take the pain away. It doesn't change anything. So at this point, I don't even think faith matters. I feel like even God doesn't care about me. Wow. That's tough, isn't it? It's tough to hear. Prayer doesn't change anything, so what's the point? Faith doesn't matter. Not even God cares about me anymore. That's tough to hear. That's tough for a pastor to hear. 
and I'm assuming it's tough for you to hear. It's tough, but it's honest. And George Buttrick said in that book on prayer that I mentioned last week that above everything else, prayer at its best is fundamental honesty. Prayer at its best is fundamental honesty. So today we're going to explore a little bit of that fundamental honesty about prayer. Now, if you're paying attention, you probably notice that this story that Jesus tells is very much like the story that he told from Luke 11 that we talked about last Sunday. And so you may be asking yourself, why did Jesus tell two stories that were so similar about being persistent in prayer and about God's goodness and eventually answering? Why would Jesus do that? And and the answer is pretty simple. It's right in front of our faces. And that is that Jesus knew we would get discouraged. Jesus knew that we would begin to doubt. And so Jesus told this story. You could pose the question a different way. You could say, why did Luke record these stories? Of all the things Jesus said, of all the things that Luke could have included, why did he include two stories about Jesus uh, inviting us, challenging us to be persistent in prayer? And again, the same answer. Luke did that because he knew we would grow discouraged and we would begin to lose heart and not pray faithfully. Uh, If you stop and think about it, Most of the parables of Jesus don't have an explanation. Most of the parables of Jesus, you go away scratching your head and say, I wonder what he meant by that. But this is one of the rare parables where Luke tells us what the parable means before he tells us the parable. In verse 1 he says, Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. Now here's the story. As if he doesn't want us to miss the point. Here's the point of the story, and now I'm going to tell you the story. And he did just that. But there's a subtle difference between this story and the Luke 11 story. Every passage of Scripture has a context. Every text has a context. It's couched in stuff that happens before it and stuff that happens under it, uh, after it. And this particular story in Luke 18 is is preceded by a discussion of the second coming of Christ or the end of history or the return of the Lord. In chapter 17, verse 20, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? And Jesus goes into a long discussion about the end times, about the coming of Messiah. And then he tells this parable about praying faithfully. You see, as the four Gospels were being compiled in the early church history, And as they were being circulated and read and shared in the churches, the disciples, the original disciples, were beginning to grow old and die off. And the early church was growing nervous because she kept looking to the skies for Jesus to come back because, after all, didn't Jesus Jesus say, I'm coming soon? And the early church was growing discouraged and the early church was growing embarrassed. And the early church was growing confused because... Why hasn't Jesus come? Why why haven't things been made right that are wrong in this world? And Jesus tells this story after he talks about the coming of the Son of Man to say, pray faithfully, God will eventually make everything right. So that, a reminder, not all of prayer is about my personal problems. Some of prayer is about justice in the world. 
And some of prayer is on the larger canvas of human history about God eventually bringing everything around the way it should be. And so, the story. Like so many of Jesus' stories, it's a colorful story. It's a, it's a good story. It's a unique story. It's a story about a courtroom scene in the ancient Near East. It's, it's a story of a woman, a widow, poor. She's in court trying to get justice over some financial matter. Somebody's gouged her. Somebody's wronged her. And the judge doesn't care. He's hard-hearted. He's, he's very, very about himself. Bible historians have reconstructed this scene based on other extra-biblical material about what this courtroom scene probably looked like. And they said that the judge was probably seated on a, on a dais, a, a raised platform. He was probably seated with cushions, and he was all about himself, and he was probably having messengers and couriers coming up to him and whispering bribes in his ear and handing him money so that he would rule a particular way on various cases. In my mind... I picture this judge as looking like Jabba the Hutt. I just sort of feel like that's the way the judge looked. And when I read this, uh, when I read this parable, I, I picture this judge as sort of being really large and with squinty eyes and this nasty little voice and saying, what's in it for me? And I can't talk like Jabba the Hutt. Uh, that would not be pretty. Uh, but uh, this woman is standing before him and he won't pay any attention to her because... She has nothing to offer him. She doesn't have anyone advocating for her. She has no money. She has no standing in the community. She doesn't go to the country club with the county commissioners. She doesn't uh, have an in-law related to one of the lawyers. She doesn't have a neighbor who's well-connected with some of the uh, mayor and and the, the local leaders. She's on her own. You know, the only thing she has... She has persistence. That's the only thing she has. She's right, and she's persistent. And she keeps coming, and she keeps coming. Jesus said in verse 3, she didn't go just once. She kept standing up and shouting in court, interrupting things. She kept coming day after day after day, and she just kept at it. Now, eventually, the judge granted her request. He ruled in her favor, but not because he cared, not because he cared, not because he was merciful, not because he was just. He just did it to get her off his back. And the phrasing in the original Greek is kind of humorous because it it says, depending on your translation, he says to himself, I'm going to finally grant her request, not because I care, but I'm going to do this lest she give me a black eye or lest she slap me in the face. That's what the original language says. Out of self-preservation, I'm just going to get this dealt with. And again, a parable of contrast. God is not like this. God is the opposite of this, but if a cruel, heartless judge will eventually give in to all of the requests, how much more will a generous God give in to these requests? So what's Jesus really trying to teach us? He's trying to teach us that prayer is not for the faint of heart. He's trying to teach us that prayer is not for cowards. 
He's trying to say that our praying needs to be less anemic and less timid. Our praying is too anemic and it's too timid. Now would be a good time for us to remember Hebrews, the fourth chapter, verse 16. We are to come to the throne of grace with boldness, not arrogance, not a sense of entitlement, but because of Jesus Christ, the great high priest. Hebrews 4.16 says, We are to come to the throne of grace with boldness to find help and receive mercy in time of need. We can come with boldness. And by the way, that, that squares perfectly with what Jesus says in verse 7. He says, Will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? And the, the word for cry was a visceral, uh, from the gut, very primitive groan. Will not God grant justice to those of us who, who cry out deep from within? And not only cry out, but Jesus said day and night, and day and night, and day and night, and over and over and over again. As I was uh, studying this passage of Scripture, I thought of a great quote by Bob Goff, who wrote this book, Love Does. He said, I used to think God guided us by opening and closing doors, but now I know sometimes God wants us to kick some doors down. Isn't that amazing to think about? Yeah, Luke 11 invites us to knock, to ask, and seek. But Luke 18 reminds us that sometimes we have to be so persistent We have to kick some doors down in prayer. One of the uh, email correspondences I had from uh, a lady in our church who was uh, writing me about prayer, she she shared a a powerful experience. She said, uh, my sister was ill in another state, desperately ill, We weren't sure she was going to live. She said, uh, as my husband and I were packing our bags to go be with my family, we both came down with the flu. Neither one of us could go. She said, I was so angry. I was so upset. I prayed to God. And then she said, or should I say, I yelled at God? She was being honest, remember? At the heart of prayer is fundamental honesty. And did she think I was going to be shocked that she yelled at God? No. First of all, God's a big boy. He can take it. But more importantly, you know what I think? I think God would rather have our gut honesty than to have this pretend syrupy stuff we do that isn't real. And I know God would rather have our honest anger than to have apathetic indifference and silence. At least when someone's angry, you know there's something valuable at stake. At least when someone's angry, you know there's care and concern. So what Jesus is calling us to is prayer. He says, pray when you're angry. Pray when you're confused. Pray when you're troubled. Pray when you don't get the answer, you just keep praying. And pray even when you don't know what to pray. Does that make sense? 
to pray when you don't know what to pray? Here's a great verse from Romans, the 8th chapter, the 26th verse. Meanwhile, the moment we get tired in the waiting, God's Spirit is right alongside helping us along. If we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in us and for us, making prayer out of our wordless sighs, our aching groans. Romans 8.26, the rendering from the message. God's Spirit is right alongside us, helping us. When we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He's praying in us and for us and using our wordless sighs and our aching groans. Fred Craddock tells the story of a community gathering. A community gathering dealing with stark injustice, racial tension. And he said at a very key and dangerous point of that meeting, a black pastor stood up and he did two things. He read this simple story from Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. And then he said, Until you have stood in front of a locked door and knocked until your knuckles are bloody, you don't know what prayer is. And on this anniversary week of the historic March on Washington, August 28, 1963, it's a good time for us to remember that sometimes prayer is knocking until our knuckles are bloody, and sometimes it takes a long time for God to bring justice in His world and to bring all those answers to prayer into living being. But I keep going back to this poor soul, this lovely person who wrote me about those doubts. Remember what I read to you? Prayer doesn't seem to matter. It doesn't take the pain away. It doesn't change anything. At this point, I don't think faith matters. I don't even feel like God cares. Let's be honest. Some of us never physically walk away from God. And some of us never physically drop out of church. But we still become functional atheists. Functional atheists. People going through the motions, but deep down down in their hearts don't believe it anymore. What if we could think of prayer in a different image? What if our prayer lives are the soil that God wants us to till and work and get fertile and ready? And that the prayer requests 
that we offer to God and, and often receive as promptings from God are the seeds that are sown. And what if then the waiting is that which happens before the harvest? And, and you know, some of the flowers grow quickly and some of the crops grow quickly and some of the, them take a long time and some oak trees take, take years and decades. And what if we just began to understand that God's always answering prayer. The harvest is always going to come, but it's going to come in God's time and in God's way. It takes a long time for the harvest to come, but God has promised through the, through the power of the resurrection that God will eventually make everything right. God will eventually fix everything, that God will have the last word. That is the down payment promise of the resurrection. And so the question stops being, does God answer prayer? And the question starts being the one Jesus asked at the close of this scripture. We stop asking, does God answer prayer? And we start asking what Jesus asks. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Let's bow our heads together.